Notes from America is supported by Future Hindsight, an award-winning podcast that shares big ideas about participating in American democracy beyond voting but short of running for office. Join host Mila Atmos for stimulating and incisive conversations with citizen changemakers on topics ranging from gerrymandering, policing equity, and voting rights. In this election year, Future Hindsight offers an unaffiliated perspective into what's at stake and how citizens can make an impact at the local, state, and national level. You'll always come away with something hopeful. Tune in every Thursday to get engaged and stay engaged. WNYC Studios is brought to you by Zbiotics. Seize the day after a night of drinks with Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink. Zbiotics was invented by PhD scientists to break down the byproduct of alcohol, which is most responsible for making you feel crummy the next day. Drink Zbiotics before your first drink, drink responsibly, and you'll wake up refreshed and ready to take on the day. Try it for yourself at zbiotics.com slash WNYC and get 15% off your first order when you use WNYC at checkout. That's zbiotics.com slash WNYC and use the code WNYC at checkout for 15% off. Listener supported. WNYC Studios. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright, and welcome to the show. And a special welcome to those of you listening from Oregon Public Broadcasting, joining us for the first time this week. Glad to have you in the community. Billy Porter has just wrapped up the tour for his new album, Black Mona Lisa, a 25-city journey in which he tells the story of his life through music. I spoke with him late last year, just as he was about to drop this album, and we're going to kick off LGBT Pride Month by revisiting that conversation. It's safe to say that Billy Porter has become an icon of queer pride. The superlatives attached to his name have stacked up. He's already an Emmy, Grammy, and Tony Award winner, which leaves him just an Oscar shy of that rarefied group of artists with all four awards to their credit. And now he's shooting for a pop star with this new album. From the Broadway stage to his groundbreaking role on the TV show Pose to his advocacy for LGBT rights, Billy Porter has found remarkable success while bringing his full self as a Black gay man to the work. But it has been a journey to get here. I spoke with him about that journey as he describes it in his memoir, Unprotected, and about how art saved him. Billy Porter, 
Thank you so much for this time. It is just a pleasure and an Thank honor you. To, to spend some Thank time you. with you. I want to start where you start your memoir. Um, okay. Because you open it with the closing lines of Tony Kushner's uh, epic show, Angels in America. And they those lines strike me to my core every single time. This, you know, mm-hmm. we won't die secret deaths anymore. The world spins yeah. forward. Um and, you know, of course, I immediately think of your role on Pose um, as the mm-hmm. character Pray Tell. And you kind of, to me, you know, right, like you portray an angel in America um, yeah. now over, you know, looking out for queer kids of color. But I mean, for you, why begin the book with that idea, this idea of Kushner, Kushner's angel sending us off to the great work of life? Well, you know, what's interesting to me is that I didn't know that I was missing something in the business and in my work, right? We talk about representation today. We have language for it. We didn't really have language. Like, it was 1994, you know, I'm Black, I'm queer, I'm in this business, you know, I'm used for my talent mm-hmm. in these spaces, but I'm not allowed to really be a human being. I'm used as a clown, essentially. Mm -hmm. And there doesn't seem to be much movement for me in these spaces. You know, this is pre-Hamilton. This is pre-Cynthia Erivo in The Color Purple. You know, when you sang like a Black person and didn't sound like Mandy Patinkin, Patty Lapone, or Bernadette Peters, you were a Black entertainer without a soul. Mm. You were there to be used to stop shows and to entertain. But when it came down to telling real stories about real human beings, there was no space for us in that. Mm-hmm. There was no space for Black people in general. Mm-hmm. And not to even say about a Black queer mm-hmm. man. So, Angels in America, I took myself to see part one, Millennium Approaches, and it was the first time that I saw a representation of my Black, queer, educated, grounded, three-dimensional human self on anything. Mm. I had never seen it before at all. And it wasn't until I was seeing it that I realized I had never seen it. And Jeffrey Wright was extraordinary in the role. Breathtaking. And I knew in that moment that if I was ever going to um, make it in this business, and by make it, I mean, like, convince the world that I'm an actor, it would be through the role of Belize. It was like, I just, you know, I knew that I was going to have to stand at an intersection that didn't exist. I was going to have to represent a community that didn't exist yet. So that when the time came, I would be ready. And that's exactly what happened. You know, I saw that show, I looked at the market and I was like, oh, they're casting straight boys in these roles. Mm. 
It's okay for now, but not always. Yeah. Right? Because as the Black gay man, y'all need to give me that role. It's so funny that you put it, or interesting to me that you put it that way around, like, have, literally hadn't seen yourself. I mean, I... When I came out, people could, I'd say to people, when they say, oh, did you always know? I was like, sure, but I literally had no point of reference. I had not seen yeah. myself. And people couldn't understand what I meant when I said that, at least at the time. Like, I literally had never seen myself. Yeah, and there was, and, you know, I've talked about this too. I was around the corner. Well, actually, the back of the theaters butted against each other, and I was in Greece. The revival of Greece with Rosie O'Donnell and Megan Mullally and all of that. And I was playing the Teen Angel, and they had me in like 14 inches of orange rubber hair. And <laughs> I stayed prancing around like a little Richard Automaton on crack. And, you know, it was just not, I was miserable. And I didn't understand, you know, cause it was like, oh, the dream is, you know, I'm like in a Broadway show and I'm a principal and I'm creating a role and I'm miserable. And um, seeing Angels in America gave me clarity. And it was the first time too, where like, you know, you saw a black queer man educated, the heart of the show, you know, the center of sanity with all these white people swirling around him during the AIDS crisis. And Tony was dealing with the issues that, you know, many communities weren't talking about. Um, you know, he was speaking for his Jewish community and the white community, and the black community, and women. And, like, it was just so much at the same time. And I just, it changed everything for me. Yeah. And then what happened is, Pray Tell became my own personal sort of three-season Angels in America journey. Pray Tell was his character in the TV series Pose, which is about a chosen family of queer youth in New York's ball scene at the height of the AIDS epidemic. He won an Emmy for the role in 2019 and was nominated for two more in the following years. The character, Pray Tell, spends part of the series concealing the fact that he's HIV positive from that chosen family. And in 2021, Billy Porter disclosed that he, too, had been living with HIV for years and had sought to keep it quiet. Pray Tell was HIV positive and went through a journey of revealing that to his community. You had lived with HIV for 14 years mm -hmm. um, and kept mm -hmm. it to yourself um, and have now uh, told the world about that. And I actually wonder about, you know, because you've become sort of um, such a symbol of lay, laying down the burden and claiming our joy. And I just... I wonder what it's like now to be on the other side of that. Now, it's been some time since you, you made that public declaration through this role. What's it like to be on the other side of that? You know, it's a, such a wonderful question because, you know, as an artist, as a human, as a Black man, as, you know, whatever, like, it's when you live in a space of lack for your entire life, when abundance shows up, it's still work to understand how to receive that. Mm. And I'm sort of in the middle space of that. I'm in, the, I'm in the space of sort of trying to let go of waiting for the other shoe to drop all the time. Wow. And choosing joy, choosing it. It's a choice. I have to wake up every morning and recommit to choosing joy. 
Sometimes I'm really successful. Sometimes I'm not successful at all. Some days I'm not successful at all. You know, during the election, I was not successful for several (laughs) days in a row, leading up to it and Mm -hmm. after it. Like, I was just not successful Mm -hmm. at joy. You know, it's really difficult right now, particularly. We're all sort of living inside of a collective trauma, trauma and chaos that we're trying to move through and we have to sort of feel simultaneously. And, you know, I'm learning how to do both of those things at the same time. It's like, you have to feel it, you have to be in it. And being inside of what's happening is what then allows for us to move through it. And I don't know that everybody understands that part of the journey. I am just learning how to understand that part of the journey. Um, You know, embracing the truth is what gets us to peace, what gets us to joy. Mm. Um, It is effort. It takes effort. It's work. It is work, is what I'm finding for myself, at least. I'll just talk about myself. I'm talking with actor Billy Porter about his memoir, Unprotected, which is now out in paperback. Coming up, we'll talk about how he's done a lot of that work of healing and finding joy through his art. And we'll get the backstory on that tuxedo dress that broke the internet during the Oscars in 2019. So stay with us. This is Kusha. I'm a producer. I want to remind you that if you have questions or comments about what you're listening to, we at the show would love to hear from you. Here's how. First, you can email us. The address is notes at wnyc.org. Second, you can send us a voice message. Just go to notesfromamerica.org and click on the green button a little bit down the page that says start recording. Finally, you can message us on Twitter and Instagram. The handle is at Notes with Kai. However you want to reach us, we'd love to hear from you and maybe use your message on the show. All right. Thanks. Talk to you soon. I'm David Remnick, host of the New Yorker Radio Hour. There's nothing like finding a story you can really sink into that lets you tune out the noise and focus on what matters. In print or here on the podcast, The New Yorker brings you thoughtfulness and depth and even humor that you can't find anywhere else. So please join me every week for The New Yorker Radio Hour, wherever you listen to podcasts. It's Notes from America. I'm Kai Wright, and I'm talking this week to Billy Porter about his memoir, Unprotected. It's a revealing portrait in which he talks about really hard stuff from his childhood as a queer Black boy. He finished writing it during the early COVID shutdown, and he says that gave him space to really dig into himself. You know, COVID helped me find the form 
in which to tell the story. What do you mean? Well, I just, I didn't want it to simply just be a cradle-to-grave narrative. You know, I love books. I love writers. And so <laughs> my standards for myself was very high. It was debilitating me for a bit. And then when I was able to just sit during COVID and quiet my mind and just be present, I was able to just settle into what I was feeling. And what I was feeling was, you know, a parallel disruption of my nervous system that I felt during the AIDS crisis. Mm. And so then I was able to align those two things and write from toggling between how the past, you know, living in that space in the 80s and 90s, um, how that really affected me and my generation, and then toggle back and forth to how this one was making all of us feel as well and trying to marry those worlds together to find a space for healing. You write about your mother in very powerful terms in this book. She's been a part of your public conversation. So can you tell us a little bit about her and really starting with her birth and the way that shaped her life? Because that's become such an important part of your own story too. Yes, yeah, she, so she, my grandmother was ready to have her. There was no doctor around. They gave her this medication they used to give to, like, babies that weren't developing well to sort of hold them back for a little bit so that they could um, grow inside the womb a little bit better. And they gave that to my grandmother to hold the baby for a while. And then the doctor came and sort of forced my mother out, which kind of pinched some sort of nerve and created uh, this disability with her that, you know, to this day at 76 years old has never been named. You know, it presents like cerebral palsy, but it's not cerebral palsy, but she's in a nursing home and she has no mobility and it's degenerative and it's, you know, it's been her entire life, just sort of degenerative starting from the time she was born. So, you know, I've watched her fight a system that, you know, she was born in the 40s, so any disability was aligned with retardation. Um, and nothing was wrong with her mind. Nothing has ever been wrong with her mind. Mm. But she was treated as if something was wrong with her mind back then. So she was just sort of put out of the consciousness of civilization. And she was determined to um, have a different life. And she did. And she, you know, got up every morning, got up every day and lived whatever life, showed up for whatever life was in front of her. And um, that is something to me to see every day of my life that is, you know, she is my hero. If anybody mm -hmm. ever asks me, it's like, she's my hero because even today, you know, the fight we had with the nursing home was that they weren't getting her out of bed early enough in the morning. 
You know, she was like, get me out of this bed, <laughs> right, get me washed, get me dressed. And I, if I have to be here, I'm not going to stay in bed all day. Like that was the fight that we were having. Mm-hmm. So she's a lifer. Um, whatever the life is, she has shown up for it. And she's taught me and my sister to do the same. You write, though, also about it's been complicated about the ways that she tried to protect you as a child, um, but that didn't quite come out right. Not always the ways that um, uh, that you needed to be protected. Yeah. I mean, you know, she was sheltered and the shelter was religion and religion was Christianity, and Christianity was our colonizer's religion. And one of the things that came with the colonization was the stripping of our ancestry, which is the condemnation of the two-spirit, a.k.a. the queer. You know, every indigenous culture, including the African indigenous cultures, have the two-spirit, which in modern days, you know, in, in, in our time would be considered the queer people. We have a direct connection to spirit because we are aligned with the male and the female inside of us. We're connected to, to all of it. Uh, and that's why we have a direct connection to spirit and we're the one that were charged to protect the villages and to protect, historically protect um, the tribes. And so... My mother didn't really, you know, our people don't really remember that. Mm. Um, That's on purpose. I'm here to remind everybody that I'm not nothing new and I'm actually, we're actually a gift. Mm. Gifts are not always well received. To some, that gift is a threat. To others, that gift is something to prey upon. And Billy Porter shares in his memoir the ways in which he was sexually abused as a child, including by his stepfather. I asked him whether writing the book was a way to begin reckoning with that trauma. I've been reckoning with it for years. You know, as a matter of fact, I went into trauma therapy during COVID. And, you know, we really teased apart in a different kind of way this uh, sexual trauma. And um, as she began to understand me and my work, she really began to understand that I've been using my art to try to heal my trauma for my whole life, but not even understand. You know, she said you were doing it unmonitored. Mm. You were just doing it instinctively because you understood somehow that dealing with it from a creative angle would be healing for you. And I have in everything I've done for a really long time. You know, it's not the first time. This book is not the first time. It's just another time that I've inspected and taken it out and tried to sort of ask why and what the point of it was and how to heal from it and set myself free. Is that possible? You know, I'm still in the the um, evolution of that. But I think one of the things about early severe trauma is it doesn't ever really go away, but you learn how to 
um, manage it better. Mm. It seems like in that way, your art has indeed been part of what changed the trajectory of your life. I mean, is, is that how you yeah. see it? I mean, you, are, yeah, you, it is. Do you think art would have found you one way or the other or, did, or that it's part of what you needed in uh, order to have your life? I think it's what I needed in, in order for me to have my life. I don't know that I would have survived any of this without it. Mm. And um, I know that for certain. You know, I had something to wake up for, wake up to and for every day that made me happy, that made me focused, that made me feel like I was being of service and contributing to the world in some way. In 2019, on the red carpet at the Oscars, Billy Porter had one of those viral moments in our culture, one in which he indeed contributed to the world with his gift of queerness, and also truly established his place as a fashion icon. If you somehow haven't seen the tuxedo dress, do go look it up, and there is a story behind it. I'm a big believer in speaking life into yourself and words have power. And when I was in college, I was teasing. You know, we would have Oscar parties and I would tease that like, I'm gonna wear a gown to the Oscars. I'm sick of the same penguin suit. You know, this doesn't make any sense. The women get to have all the fun. <laughs> you know, like I was saying that in like the late 80s. And so when the surprise of being summoned to the Oscars to host a red carpet for ABC, I was surprised, you know, and immediately I was reminded of what I had said all those years prior. And I was like, I'm thinking I'm gonna have to do that. Yes. And I was at a, and I was at a Christian Siriano fashion show and I thought, oh my goodness, what if it looks like a tux close? Right? If like it's a if if the shot is really close and it looks like a tux, and then when you pull back, it's a full-on antebellum ball gown with replete with like hoop <laughs> skirt and everything. I said that would be a full gag. And I talked to Christian at the party. We only had like eleven days or twelve days or something. And he agreed and he snatched that up in like nine days. He made that in like okay. nine days. Um, and I knew that it would make a splash. I didn't realize that it would change. Yeah. You know, my, there there was a light that I had. You know, I say B-O-A-O before Oscar, after Oscar. Like, it is completely different after Oscars. Like, my life is different. In what way? What do you mean by that? Say more about that. It just, it, it cracked open a space that I knew in my heart existed, but I didn't know that it was so big, and I didn't know that it was so, like... It cracked open the world to me. So ironic through the through the through the claiming of that um, of that two spiritedness and that queerness yeah. that you had to wrestle with through claiming it. It cracked open the whole yeah. world. Right, I say it all the time. It's like everybody told me my queerness would be my liability, and it was for two decades plus. Mm. And I'm so grateful that I lived long enough to 
see the transition where my queerness is my superpower. The other thing I want to ask you about that moment is while there, you spoke with the late Congressman John Lewis. Um, yeah. Uh, and I want to ask you the same question you asked him because it comes up a lot on our show from folks, which is, you know, for those of us who are feeling fatigue <laughs> um, yeah. politically um, uh, and who are, as you put it earlier in this conversation, struggle some mornings to say, okay, I'm ready. What encourages the forward momentum and engagement? How do, how do we find it? Well, first of all, we have to figure out how to take care of ourselves. The self-care component is everything. Because when you take care of yourself, then you can recharge. We have to refill our wells. The second thing is, like he said, we can never give up. You know, um, eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. That's what Frederick Douglass said over 250 years ago. The conversation that we're having and the messaging has to change. I know at 53, you know, our messaging is a change is going to come. Sam Cooke, Mm -hmm. you know, and in that there is an implication that we arrive somewhere and the work is finished. We arrive. The Civil Rights Act, the Voting Rights Act, marriage equality. We got a Black president, Roe v. Wade. We arrive somewhere and the work is finished. A change is going to come. Well, the change came and the change went. <laughs> because we didn't understand that the work continues. Yes, we fight for something specific. And then once we get that specific thing, we continue to fight to make sure it doesn't get reversed. If we know that going in, then we take care of ourselves in a different way and we will not ever be fatigued again. Um, You've got an album coming out next year. And as I understand it, the the album will speak to this sort of political and social moment that you're talking about now. And that's, uh, am I right about that? Well, it has everything. You know, it's a pop album. I wrote a lot with the late, great Andrea Martin. Emily K. from London. I wrote a lot with Justin Tranter. He's an executive producer on it. And, you know, for me, it is like, I'm so proud of the work. It speaks to my time in this business. It speaks to what I feel about the world. It speaks to um, the journey of love and what that truly means and healing. And, um, you know, there's a lot of flexing on it. (laughs) <laughs> because I've come out on the on the other side of something that on paper I wasn't supposed to. It wasn't supposed to look like this for me. Right. So um, history is written by the winners, and I win. <laughs> um, and so there's a, there's a joy in it. There's a flex in it that I've never really that makes me sort of chuckle because I've never really been that guy, you know. So it leans into that. And musically, it is everything I've ever wanted to do and say and put out in the market, in the mainstream music market. So I'm thrilled, excited. There's a new single out right now I just put out right before the election called Stranger Things. Go get it. I sang it at Global Citizen. You can see the performance on YouTube. It's called Stranger Things. I'm so proud of the work. You know, there's some stuff that's highly political on there. Mm-hmm. Um but it's not the whole album. Gotcha. gotcha. Um, but it's, yeah, you know, it's everything. 
It's all of my dimensions. It's so interesting, too, that because you write in the memoir about pop being weaponized against you, and now you, um, well, I guess you already really were a pop star, but with this album, you become explicitly, yeah. <laughs> you know, kind yes, of Yes, I'm trying. We'll is, see. Is, is there anything in that, just that, you know, that this sort of relationship with the genre, um, uh, that at one point it was... Well, yeah, I mean, like I said, one of the lyrics is, history's written by the winners, yeah. then I win. Yeah. Y'all put me out in the 90s. She's back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank goodness for it. Thank goodness for it. Yeah. Uh, before I let you go, you mentioned earlier you're 53 years old and, you know, the world has exploded for you midway through your life. And I just wonder how that does or doesn't shape your priorities as an artist. Well, first I have to say I'm grateful that it happened now and not earlier because I know who I am. And I know what I'm here for. Um, I'm ready for this. And there's a service component to this intersection that I stand inside of, these intersections that I stand inside of. And it's my goal to make sure that I show up properly and I stand in the service that I'm here for. And how great it is when your work is your service. My work is my service. It really fills me up. It really, really does. Well, Billy Porter, thank you so much for this time and for your thank work. You. Uh, and it's impact on me personally. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Notes from America is a production of WNYC Studios. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts and on Instagram at Notes with Kai. If you heard something you want to talk to us about, please do go to notesfromamerica.org and look for the green record button. You can leave a voicemail right there. Theme music and mixing by Jared Paul. Reporting, producing, and editing by Karen Frillman, Regina Dehir, Rahima Nasa, Kushanabadar, and Lindsay Foster-Thomas. Andre Robert Lee is our executive producer, and I am Kai Wright. Next week, we are celebrating Juneteenth live from Houston. I cannot wait. I hope you'll join us. Talk to you then. <laughs>